morning. It's a little quiet one this morning, isn't it? God. Um, right, um, would you mind putting that photo up? There we go. Photo of the shepherd. Um, this has been in my mind all week since um, I, I've been asked to, or we've been asked to um, do the service today. Um, <clears throat> just before what happens in today's passage, um, Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd um, and being the gate. Um, And I wasn't totally certain what being a shepherd in those times kind of entailed, really. So so I looked it up. Um, And before we start worship, I I want to tell you what I found. Um, Shepherds lived really closely with their sheep and spent more time with their sheep than they did with the people in the village. Um, Sheep required constant vigilance um, because they were precious, but they also wandered off into danger. A good shepherd would need to keep a constant watch, look out for lost sheep, nurse sick sheep, help the pregnant and the newborns, and generally give their whole lives and thoughts to looking after their flock. Shepherds regularly fought directly with predators in order to save their sheep. It was a very physical job. In order to get sleep and keep their sheep as safe as possible, shepherds and their flocks would come together at night and corral all their flocks together in sheepfolds or fenced-off areas. One or more shepherd would then rest in any of the gaps in the wall or the fencing. And this is what you see a picture of here. So that no predator would sneak in without being stopped by the shepherd. And this was being called the gate. Then every morning, each shepherd would whistle or call to their sheep. And the sheep would know their master's voice and the flocks would naturally split off for the day. Um, and I, I, I don't know, that, that just made quite an impact on me. Um, and I thought, if, if Jesus felt this was important enough to repeat twice, I am the good shepherd, and then repeat twice again, I'm the gate, what did he really, really want to tell us? And I feel that Jesus wanted us to know how precious we are to him. And that although we might wander off, get into danger, he was prepared to look for us, wait for us, bring us back to safety. He looks after those of us who are sick or young or pregnant or tired or vulnerable. He fights for us against evil and did give his life for us. We are safe near Jesus and we know his voice. Jesus says in today's passage that no one can snatch us from his hands. Whether or not we realize it or appreciate it, Jesus is there as a barrier, protecting us, looking out for us, loving us, guiding us, and caring for us. We're going to sing three songs and I want you to use the words for the ne- these, these three songs to think about this idea of Jesus 
being there as our good shepherd, being there as a protection, being there because he loves us. So if you'd like to stand. First song is Thank You for Saving Me.
just thinking about this about what Jesus wanted to tell us that he was there for us protecting us loving us wanting a relationship with us, wanting a friendship with us Um, I thought we'd just have a little bit of open prayer Um, just thanking God, either quietly or out loud um, for who he is and what he's done for us Jesus, thank you that you are an active, vital part of our lives. Thank you for giving us this picture of of you as a shepherd and a gate to explain yourself to us. Thank you that no prayer is too small, that no person is less important than another, as every sheep is equally very precious to the shepherd. Every person is equally very precious to you and you know us inside out. Thank you for being our saviour and for your constant care for us. Amen. I'm going to bring you the um, the reading for today. And it comes from John 10, 22 to 42. Um, this is, this is happening just after um, 
He is telling his, his people that he is the good shepherd. So then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, Well, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Now Ian's going to come up and speak to us. Slowly. Slowly. <laughs> good morning. It's good to see you on a, a glorious, sunny Sunday. Just bear with me as I just gather my um, gather my thoughts. Thank you, Anita, for um, for leading us in our first part of our service. And um, there was a, a message that comes through today about being in safe hands. And I think as, um, as I speak today and, and share some thoughts on, on the passage that was read today, the overriding message that I want us to remember today is that we are in 
safe hands. So, as we continue on our journey of our encounters with Jesus, we reach the point where Jesus encounters the Jewish religious leaders during the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. Here we see an argument, a rather significant argument. It's an argument the Pharisees were having with Jesus over his identity. This argument really began back in John 5, after Jesus healed a a lame man on the Sabbath day, at which time he began to speak of his own identity and to point to his own works as a witness of that. The argument became intensified in chapter 8, after Jesus forgave a woman caught in adultery, at which time he affirmed himself as the son of the Father. They tried at the time to apprehend him, but were unable to do so, and you can look at um, chapter 8, verse 20 for that. Later on, they even tried to stone him, but he escaped from their hands. Then the argument really kicked in. It went to a higher gear when he healed a man, a blind man, on the Sabbath in chapter 9. Even the blind man was able to bear witness to Jesus before the Pharisees, which, as you can imagine, even infuriated them even more. Chapter 10 follows right after the testimony of that blind man. Chapter 10 is about Jesus as the shepherd of his people. In the first half of the chapter, he presented himself in the following ways. The legitimate shepherd, the recognised shepherd, the protecting shepherd, the sacrificial shepherd, the relational shepherd, the universal shepherd and the obedient shepherd. And now in the second half of this chapter, And yet another part of the confrontation with the Pharisees, Jesus speaks of his sheep. Who are his sheep? How are they known to be his sheep? John begins by giving us the context of this phrase of the argument. He writes, Now it was a feast of dedication. It was winter in Jerusalem at the time, And the Feast of Dedication, sometimes called the Feast of Lights, because of the lamps that we use to light up the temple. This is today what we call, or we may know as Hanukkah. It was the commemoration, the marking, that had its roots back in the 2nd century BC. In the days of the Maccabean Revolt, over the terrible atrocities of the wicked Syrian king. The pagan king defiled the temple of the Jewish people and sought to force the Jews into acts of paganism. The Jewish people fought bravely, and fought bravely against him. And after he was defeated, and the temple was cleansed and restored, the Jewish people commemorated its restoration by this week-long feast. The occasion of this feast in Jesus' day was, as I mentioned, in wintertime. And the people would naturally gravitate in the closed parts of the temple. Jesus apparently was doing so as well. And this gave the Pharisees their opportunity. It seems 
likely that Jesus returned to Jerusalem for two main reasons. First, he may have wanted to resume his teaching about his role of the shepherd of Israel. This whole chapter, as I've pointed out already, is built upon this theme. The Lord is my shepherd. Here Jesus speaks of himself as the great shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. Another reason he may have returned um, would have been to make final arrangements for his final return to Jerusalem when he would come to offer himself as the Lamb of God. Later in this Gospel, we learn that he came down from the Mount of Olives on that last week, riding upon a donkey. Those arrangements had been made in advance. John tells us, as Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch, then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. It should have already been plain to them by this point. But it was most likely that they weren't asking so they could really know. I'd like to picture the scene now. The Jews therefore gathered around him. Circling, possibly, waiting to pounce, maybe, intimidating, most probably. Though the text is unclear, it is probably, it is probable, beg your pardon, that some of his disciples were with him at the time. But they were probably few in number compared to those Jews who are surrounding him. They then confront him with a question that has long been on their mind. It is not an honest question, seeking the truth. It's an accusatory question, followed by a command. This is a challenge. In this remarkable scene, is evidence that the Jews deliberately encircled Jesus, almost like an animal waiting to pounce. They encircled him so that he could not get away, forcing him to face the question, are you the Messiah? Aren't you? If you are, tell us plainly. Jesus' answer was, I have already told you. According to John's account, he never never really used these words, the Messiah, to these men before. He never actually said, I am the Messiah. He did say to the woman at the well of Samaria, and he did say to the man who was born blind, back in John 9, I am the Son of God. But to these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, He never said, I am the Messiah. The reason, of course, was because their idea of a Messiah was um, far from what Jesus' fulfilment of the predictions of the Messiah would be. They pictured a Messiah 
as a conquering hero who, like the family of Judas Maccabeus, would drive out the Romans, free the temple and enable the Jewish nation to gain control of the land. I'm reminded of those Old Testament stories where the Jews and the, and, and the Philistines, they wanted a strong and warrior king. But God gave them not what they desired. But Jesus gave no indication that he ever intended to be that type of Messiah. Therefore, him to say, I am the Messiah, would of course be to arouse false hope in their minds. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus tells us three things that he has done to make his sheep act as they do. First, I give unto them eternal life. I keep on giving them eternal life. What holds us to Jesus? Why do we gather here on a glorious sunny Sunday morning when we could be elsewhere? It's the following reasons. It's the life he gives. The peace. The joy. The love. The way we feel, the sense of inner serenity. The forgiveness. The sense of belonging and being guarded and, well, held in his hands. That's what brings us here. We are drawn because he keeps on giving us life, eternal life, God's kind of life. So what is that quality of life? An element of assurance. It will never end. It has a certainty of safety, a security about it. It can never end. We will never perish. It's marvellous to think about. We will never perish. What a wonderful world of assurance. Thirdly, this is a life which is guarded, kept protected by two unconquerable beings. Jesus said, No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In Colossians, Paul puts these two things together. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, verse 3. What a wonderful view that is of our safety. No one. Not even ourselves can take us out of our Father's hands. 
he goes on to describe several ways that someone is demonstrated to be a sheep. They are acted upon by his initiative. My sheep hear my voice. He says he is the one that makes the first move towards them. He calls them, and you can see that in Romans 8, 28 to 30. He enters into a relationship of love with them, saying, I know them. To know them in this sense means much more than intellectual awareness. He means that he enters into a deep and personal relationship with them. And we can see that in Matthew 7, 23. They respond to his love by obeying him. And they follow me. Sheep are identified by who they follow. And those sheep that show they belong to Jesus act and they follow him. His sheep are identified by what he gives them. And I give them eternal life. Sheep who belong to Jesus are thus identified by the quality of life that we endure. We enjoy it. Theirs is eternal. Once his sheep, they are his forever. We've highlighted it already before. Jesus said, they shall never perish. And they are secured forever as his. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one shall snatch them from my Father's hand. Jesus excludes no one who wants to be one of his sheep. But the Jewish leaders did not heed his call. They would not come. They would not follow and they would not believe. Because they were not his sheep. This was proven even further in verse 40 by their hostile response to his invitation. They sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. In Romans 8:38, Paul is explaining the ramifications of our salvation in faith by Jesus Christ. We are delivered from our trespasses and given victory in Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul states, verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this passage from John, we get one of the clearest messages about Jesus, about who he is as the Son of God. Jesus says, he, is the far, he and the Father are one. 
Jesus says that his sheep know his voice and they follow him. Jesus says that he gives eternal life. Jesus says he protects those that belong to him. If you are one of Jesus' sheep, you will hear his voice and you will believe his claims and you will follow him. Jesus knows his sheep and they are safe in the shepherd's hands. For nothing can separate us from his love. If you rely on yourself, your own goodness and your own efforts, you will be like one of those Jews in today's text who rejected the truth even when it was right in front of them. I have a challenge for you today. The table is laid for the Lord's Supper. I challenge you to reaffirm your commitment. Reflect on who Jesus is and come to the table with empty hands but open hearts. Amen. We're going to sing one song before we start communion. Um, and it starts, empty-handed, here I come. Um, I hope you know it. If you don't, I think you'll learn it quite quickly. I'm not too worried.
thanking Ian for that wonderful word. We come with empty hands and indeed open hearts to this God's table. Come to this table not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of this, the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray together as we give thanks for the bread and the wine. Loving God, we praise and thank you for your love shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life and ministry, announcing the good news of your kingdom and demonstrating its power by lifting up the downtrodden and healing the sick and loving the loveless. We thank you for his sacrificial death upon the cross and for the redemption of the world and for raising him to life again as a foretaste of the glory we shall all share. We give you thanks for this bread and wine, symbols in our world and signs of your transforming love. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that as we eat and drink, we may be renewed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and formed into his body. We pray this in his name. Amen. Jesus took the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. We'll distribute the bread and the wine together and I suggest that you take the bread and eat it but you retain the cup so that we can drink as a family. the cross I see love breaking through the darkness of human mistakes through the anger and greed the violent deeds shines the unconditional love of God at the cross where love Becomes love, loss becomes found. Eternal love, lives are turned around. Through the all-forgiving love of the cross I see love full of power for healing and good not selfish ambition or manipulation it's the powerful love of God at the cross where hope Hate becomes love, loss becomes found. Eternal love, lives are turned around. Through the all-forgiving love of God. Peace. 
we drink together as part of God's family. Let us pray for members of our church community. Almighty God, the only source of health and healing, in you there is true calm and peace. Lord, we think of the many people in our fellowship who are sick this morning. We think, Lord, of the many in this town. We know of many schools who have been hit with many people having COVID, many people within our community. We pray, Lord, in pain and weariness that you will bring peace and healing to our community, to the people in our fellowship, to those in our town. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And our thoughts around communion should naturally look to the wider world. Today at 12 noon in the Carfax, there's a silent vigil for Ukraine going to be held at the War Memorial and led by the Reverend Canon Lisa Barnett and by David Skip, the Chairman of Horsham District Council. I felt it was appropriate around this communion table for those perhaps who can't make it to that vigil that we share a prayer for Ukraine. It's on the screen so that you can follow. God of all, with alarm and concern, we bring before you the military intervention in Ukraine. In a world you made for peace and flourishing, we lament the use of armed force. We mourn every casualty in this conflict, every precious life extinguished by war. We pray for those who grieve and those who are fearful. Hear our longing that leaders and nations will honour the worth of all people by having the courage to resolve conflict through dialogue. May all our human failings be transformed by your wonderful grace and goodness. We ask this in the name of Christ, the author of peace and the sustainer of creation. Amen. Several members of the church fellowship have asked how can we support those displaced in the Ukraine. Both in the written bulletin this week and online, Carol, our treasurer, has kindly suggested ways that you can give to support, and we hope that that will help you. And so, as we leave this table, let us reaffirm our faith and our hope with the words of acclamation. Glory be to you, O Christ, Father of all. We give you thanks and praise May we share Christ's body with all who we meet today. 
We who have drank his cup, may we bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights, give light to others in this world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, we're going to finish with two songs. Um, one bringing us back to remind us that Lord is our shepherd. <clears throat> Shall we stand?
Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being our shepherd, for being there and never letting go of us. And I I pray you'll send us out this week as your sheep who listen to your voice and know you. Amen. If anyone wanted, wants any prayer, we would be very happy to pray with you if you'd, if you'd like it. Thank you. God bless you.